We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Today we're going to see in verses 1 through 3 the blessings of being a child of God. And then we're going to see in verses 4 through 15 the evidence of being a child of God. Because look what we read in verse 1. It says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself, just as he is pure. And so the first thing we see here is the blessings of being a child of God. We see, first of all, there in verse 1, that as a child of God, it kind of makes sense that we are loved by God. Again, notice in verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. The word behold, it means to perceive with your eyes, uh, don't just glance at this, but gaze on this. Really make sure that you seriously see the love that God has for you. This love that is so deep and so amazing that he would actually call us the children of God. Now we're going to see this is an important truth. One thing I need to mention to you is that not everyone is a child of God. You know, you're going to hear that among the masses of mankind today. And uh, they'll say, you know what, we're all children of God. But that's not what the Bible says. As a matter of fact, we're going to see later in verse 8 today that actually the others that don't know Jesus are called the children of the devil. And it's a crazy thing, but it's a true thing. Because the Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 12, that as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. And so what we find today in our text, it teaches us that those who do receive the Lord, however, are beneficiaries of his amazing love to the extent that we as Christians are children of God. And that's an important truth. You know, I know that, um, you know, the way it is in life, because we live in a fallen world, we live in fallen bodies. There's sin, there's sickness, there's natural and unnatural disasters, there's visible and invisible enemies. There's a, a plethora of uncertainties in our future. And sometimes it's even harder for us as Christians because we're in a spiritual warfare. I know, man, there's a lot going on, you know. I, I, if I had the chance to sit down with just any of you, I know you could tell me about the difficulties that you're experiencing and I could tell you my heartaches as well. So as we're going through this right here, I, I think it's a tremendous truth for us to understand that as we're going through all these things, this right here is the truth that will be an anchor for our soul. That as we contemplate today the love that God has beyond a shadow of a doubt towards us as Christians, that we have a Father who loves us as His children, it's just an amazing truth to ponder. You know, for those of you who have kids, I think you kind of understand a little bit about what God's saying right here. You know, I know how much I love my children. You know, I will do anything to protect them in life. I will do anything to direct them in life. I will do anything to, you know, perfect them in life. You know, my love for them runs so deep that, you know, I would trade anything for their benefit. I would give my life for them. And if that's the way it is for me, who, in the bottom you know, analysis, I'm a wicked man, can you imagine the love that God has for you? You know, I don't know how many years it's been, but in our family, we have a, a nightly routine, but it's never become a rut. You know, every single night when my kids come up and when they're just about to hit the sack, I always tell them, you know, uh, Jesus loves you, he's with you, and I love you. Thanks for being my daughter thanks you for being my son every single night and i don't know you know why but i do know this i think part of the reason is because i know 
that we realize how important it is for our kids to know that you know, their mom and dad love them. And of course we know that that love, it must be beyond words, but it needs to be expressed as well. And that's why God says it to us over and over and over again. You know, he proved it by dying for us on the cross, by sending his son, by taking care of us day in and day out. But he also says it. And that's basically what we read in verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. It's kind of like God's way of saying as Christians, I love you. God is saying, I love you. God is saying in Jeremiah chapter 33, 31 verse 3, the Lord has appeared of old to me saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, loving kindness, I have drawn you. God says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4, because of his great love with which he loved us. And every once in a while, I get my son in a headlock, man. (laughs) And they say, listen, do you know that I love you? They gotta know that. It helps them in life. And and we gotta know that God loves us. We gotta know that. As a child of God, it's so cool to know that you know we are loved by him. It's so cool to know that you know we're even his children to begin with. You know, when you read the Bible, you realize that we are children of God because we're born again into the family of God. We read earlier in John chapter 1, verse 12, as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God. In John chapter 3, verse 3, it says, unless you're born again. And so we need to be born into the family of God. We're going to even see it later in verse 9 of this chapter that we have to be born of God. And so part of the way that we become children of God is we repent of our sins and we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. You know, it doesn't matter if you've gone to church. It doesn't matter if you've done the sacraments. It doesn't matter if you read your Bible a hundred times. There has to be a day. Has there been a day when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior? When that happens, the Bible says you're born again. And so that's part of the way that we become children of God. But another way that we become children of God is that we are adopted into his family. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, we're adopted. Galatians chapter 4, verse 5. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. And you know, and I don't know, I know this sounds kind of weird, but you know, being adopted into his family. There's something about that that really hits home. You know, I think of Samuel in Cambodia, this little little baby, just completely abandoned, didn't have a mom, didn't have a dad. And then Katie goes and she adopts him. And And I think, well, that was me, Lord. You know, I didn't have hope. I didn't have a future. I didn't have that love. I didn't have that protection or direction or perfection in the spiritual kingdom. And God, he found me. He adopted me. See, when John is writing, and and one of the things I see about John, and I love this letter right here, is he just talks a lot about the blessings of being a Christian. And it's so cool. And we see that. And it's amazing. But, He also wants to make sure you're a Christian. And as we see our study today, we're going to see the way it unfolds. It's just a beautiful thing. You know, since we're Christians and we're children of God through adoption and spiritual birth, we will be like God since he's in us and since we're with him as his children. And so one of the things that John mentions is in verse 1, Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Now, we're going to touch on this later, but John is pointing to the fact that when Jesus came to earth, overwhelmingly speaking, they didn't know him, they didn't like him, they did not love him, therefore they killed him. Remember the conversations Jesus would have with the religious leaders? He would tell them, you don't know the Father, so you don't know me. If you knew the Father, you would know me. And, and this world that we live in is kind of the same thing overwhelmingly under the sway of the wicked one. They don't like God. They don't love God. They don't know God. So in all reality, when we become children of God, it's like they don't really know us. That's what he says right there. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. And that's why a lot of times, and I don't know if you guys ever feel it, man, but I think that we do at times, we just feel like we don't fit in. 
You know, I went yesterday to a funeral and, and afterwards, you know, I went with my family. And this is a family, you know, that I grew up with. Um, you guys know how it is. Yeah, you're, you're cousins and you grew up with them, right? And you punch, you know, you, know, you just have fights and stuff. I mean, you just, you're growing up, you're doing your different things. And, and then, you know, the years go by and then you kind of come together and it's this man, um, they're all just, they're all just drinking. They're all just partying and, and you almost feel like you're a foreigner. You almost feel like you don't fit in. I mean, you try to love on them. And of course, we got to be a witness to our families and stuff like that. But man, you feel like you don't fit in. And in reality, it's because you don't, man. We're aliens. We're foreigners. They think we're weird. They don't know God, so they don't know the children of God. And so John is going to touch on this and then he's going to come back to it later. But what he says, first of all, is I want you to know the blessing of being a child of God. Even though the world doesn't love you, man, God does. God's love for us and then God's life in us. Because again, look at verse 2. He says, Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You know, the other day I went to go see Rich and Veronica uh, I can say this because they're not here today, and, and we're not here right now anyways, and went to go see their little baby, Eliana. And uh, for those of you who know Rich and Veronica, they're a really, really beautiful couple. And, I, and, I, and I'm so happy for, for them, the kids that they have. But in all of reality, I also tell Rich I'm happy for the kids because I know the parents they have. And, and that's kind of how it is for us. I mean, I don't know if you realize what it is to be a child of God. Who our, who our parents are, you know, who our father is, the love that he has for us in spite of all the difficulties you're going through. Nothing's happened in your life that he hasn't intended for good. As you go through all the difficulties of life, though, you got to stay focused. And so, you know, he says God loves you so much. And you have this life in you that, man, this is so amazing. It's, a, it's not just a spiritual truth, it's a physical truth. He says right here, we don't know all the details, but we do know that when Jesus returns, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You know, First Thessalonians four thirteen through 17, it talks about the fact that when Jesus comes back for the rapture of the church, that all those who have died in Christ... They will receive their resurrected bodies and they're going to be transformed. We here alive will be transformed in the twinkling of an eye. We're going to receive our, our new bodies at that point. And we're going to have a body, it says, like Jesus. So we're going to be able to behold Jesus in all his glory. We're going to be able to see God, God's face and God's fullness. We're going to see God. And this is something new. Because we read, remember back in Exodus thirty-three twenty, God said to Moses, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see my face and live, because God is so holy and we are so wicked. If we were to see God's face in his fullness, we would die, we would disintegrate, but not when we receive our glorified bodies. When we receive our glorified bodies, we're going to be able to see God, his face, his fullness. And that's why... Job said in chapter 19, verse 26, after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God. And, and the blessing of being a Christian, the blessing of having this love of God, the blessing of having this life in God. You know, we need new bodies. I know I do. I don't know about you guys, man. I'm praying for my shoulder. I'm praying for my neck. A lot of aches and pains and squeaks and things like that, man. But we're going to receive a new body. You know, the other day I was uh, conducting a funeral for a beautiful woman who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there we were at the graveside. And I'm sure you've been there. And, you know, just ready to lower the body into the ground. But as we're lowering the body into the ground, also believing that that body is kind of like a seed that's planted in the ground. And just as a seed is, goes into the ground and is buried and it's died, but then it rises, transformed. So 
Adela's body would be buried, but then we know at the resurrection that she would rise and as a transformed body. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where they're asking that question, you know, what kind of body are we going to have? And again, it doesn't give us a lot of details, but it does say this, that it will be a celestial body. It does say that it will be an incorruptible body, a glorious body, a powerful body, a spiritual body. You guys, I don't know if you ever think about that, you know, but uh, John, he wants us to think about that, that what a blessing it is to be a Christian, to have God's love, to have God's life, to know that we can look forward to the day with hope, a certain certainty about the future when we will have a body like Jesus, able to see God and inhabit heaven forever and ever. And he wants to motivate us with this truth. You know, again, we don't know a whole lot, but we do know some things. Our bodies will be incorruptible, glorious, and powerful. The cool thing is you're still going to be you, but you're going to get a slight makeover, man. <laughs> like it says in Philippians 3, verse 20, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. And so the same power, think about that, the power that God has to subdue everything to himself will be exercised towards you and will transform your body into a glorious body. Uh, My son was asking me, he asked me a really good question last night. You know, he said, well, what was the difference between Jesus' body you know, before and after. He said, Jesus didn't have no sin, right? And I said, right, he didn't. He didn't have a sin nature, but he was able to be killed. With his glorious body, with his glorified body, everything changed. I don't know, it's kind of like a glorified Superman, but, you know, multiply that a million times over. That's the body, you guys, that we will possess. You know, I I actually went to another funeral yesterday. My cousin... Johnny passed away. And after the funeral outside the church building, the kids and some of his siblings, they had these little envelopes, and I don't know how they did it, but they had the butterflies inside. And so uh, together, you know, at a certain time, they let off all the butterflies. And it was a real, real nice uh, uh, thing, kind of symbolic, though, of what happening, what we're talking about here. Because, you know, before they're a butterfly, you guys know what they are, right? They're the creepy caterpillars, right? And um, I don't know if you think caterpillars are, are, are pretty, but, you know, most people don't. One thing I know about caterpillars is that they're sitting, they're sitting ducks. I know that for a fact, man, that the birds are going, mm, filet mignon right there, right? And so they can just creep. They can't really do a whole lot. But then, you know, the day happens, the day comes, they enter the cocoon. And the next thing you know, man, there's a metamorphosis that takes place. There's a transformation. And then one day, man, it's just amazing the way it happens that that you know, creepy, crawling caterpillar turns into this beautiful butterfly that just, you know, flies away. And there's no doubt in my mind that God gave that to us as an illustration of what he's going to do with our life. You know, to know that you're going to see God, to know that you're going to be with God, to know that the day will come, there'll be no more sin or suffering or danger or devil or death, to know that we're going to be like Jesus in his glorified body, you know, to, and, and, and you know, yesterday is kind of funny because, you know, when you think of Jesus, again, we don't know a lot, but we do know a few things. I don't know. Some people say that he could walk through doors. I don't know if he necessarily walked through doors. I do know he would just appear somewhere. Right. Remember when they were there having dinner and boom, there he is or, you know, just different places. And I think that, that we'll be able to to have that because it says right here we shall be like him. Right. Because we're going to see him as he is. And so. Yesterday on the way to the funeral, we were running late, and I just hate, I hate being late, right? You guys do too, right? How many of you hate being late? I just hate it, man. And so there we are. But just to make matters worse, we are stuck. We are just stuck in traffic. And so what happens when you hate being late and you're stuck in traffic? Stress and sin, right? (laughs) Forgive me, Lord. (laughs) No, I'm just joking. I tried not to, man, but it's tough. It's just tough. And so I was just thinking, in heaven, Lord, there'll be no traffic, huh? <laughs> in heaven, you're just like, okay, Hawaii, boom, you're there, man. You know, let's run to the sun. I mean, it's going to be amazing in heaven. 
You know, and another thing I was thinking about in heaven is that we'll be able to fly. And I have proof for this. Finally, I found a scriptural backing for this. Because remember, if Jesus could just appear anywhere, why didn't he just appear from earth to heaven? Because he wanted to fly, right? He's all going to fly up there. So I can show Manny that, yeah, you are going to fly when you get your glorified bodies. No, but I don't, I don't know for sure. But I just when I think of all these things, new bodies, new muscles, new minds, new hands, new hearts, all without sin. Man, I just I'm so blessed. And, and what John is saying is when you have this in your heart, look at verse three. And everyone who has this hope in him, he says, purifies himself just as he is pure. You know, John says when this great truth of, you know, heaven and glorification, when it penetrates your heart, it does an amazing work of sanctification, of purification. You know, since we really are children of God, citizens of heaven, when it's something we really begin to see, then what ends up happening is we start living life accordingly. We start living life appropriately. He says it purifies you. That's what happens when you really see what's going on. It it says right there in verse 3, And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. Notice, just as he is pure. You know, we read something similar. If you go back to 1 John chapter 2, remember what we said in verse 6? He who says he abides in him on himself also to walk just as he walked. You see, you guys, this truth that we're learning about the love of God, about the life of God, about the glory of God, about the day that we'll be home one day with new bodies, no more sin, no more suffering, no more devil, no more death. We're going to be with God. When that really penetrates our heart, when we see that, it it changes our heart. You know, because if there's one thing that I want in life, more than you know anything else is I want to be like the Lord. I want to. You know, and the Lord will take care of everything else. He'll make me a good husband, he'll make me a good father, he'll make me a good son, he'll make me a good friend, he'll make me a good minister. He'll take care of everything, he'll take care of my kids, my wife, my finances, he'll take care of everything. If I could just be like him. And that's what John's saying, that when you have this hope, you're going to be pure just like he's pure. You're going to walk just like he walked. And that's why, you know, we got to believe these things. You know, because we're children of God. Children are born and then we, they grow. And we would expect to see a family resemblance, right? Don't you guys expect that? And I don't know how the ladies do it. A lot of times the ladies will see the newborns. And they say, oh, yeah, yeah, she looks like Veronica. I'm like, man, how do you see that? You know, I, I don't know how you guys do it, but ladies have, a, I don't know, they can see deeper. But definitely when they get older, we can see like the resemblances, the different uh, skin color or hair color or eyes color. You know, we can see different things in their nice little nose or their little lips. Or when they get older, sometimes even similarities in personalities. Yeah, it's just like his dad, right? I mean, sometimes it's the way they talk. Oftentimes, believe it or not, have you guys ever seen this? When you see someone's kid, they walk just like their parents. Have you ever seen that? They're like the waddle or whatever it might be. <laughs> and you're like, wow, even the walk is in the genes, right? And you just see the way it works, you know, in the physical realm. And the same is true in the spiritual realm. What we see in the scriptures is that when you combine the reality of who we already are in Christ and who we will be in Christ, or just... You know, when applied appropriately, it produces a certain element of purity. And it's important for us as Christians to know that. You know, because we're going to talk now about sin. And, and you know, sin is just an awful thing. I mean, when you sin, it separates you from God. When you sin, you're planting seeds that you're going to then one day, you know, harvest. And it's never, ever good. And what was happening here, unfortunately, was the false teachers of John's day were leading people astray with different teachings. Because look what we read in verse 4. John says, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. 
And you know that he, speaking of Jesus, was actually manifested to take away our sins. And in him, there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, don't let anyone deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. And for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. You know, yesterday at the funeral um, with my cousin, you know, as a believer, I mean, the most important thing is, is their salvation. That's the most important thing. And your heart just goes out to them, man, because, you know, here you are, you know, you're talking to your cousin and he's just pounding the beers away. And he's telling you maybe about his lifestyle, you know, not married, living in sexual sin. And he thinks he's a Christian. He thinks he's going to go to heaven. Somewhere along the way, he heard somebody teach him that it's okay as long as you were baptized and then maybe you received your little catechism and confirmation and, you know, then you're going to be okay. And, and it just breaks your heart to know that, that they're heading for hell. And, um, and someone had crept into the church there in John's place in Ephesus and they had told them it doesn't really matter like, you know, sin is not a big deal. Um, you know, you're going to be fine. The Gnostics, they separated the body, soul, and spirit to such an extent that they basically said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter what you, what you do in the body. And so the people were having a field day. And John writes to them and tells them, listen, I love you. And I want you to go to heaven when you die. And I want you to know that you can examine your life. So that you can find out if you really are a believer. You know, because, you know, you know, just because we go to church, it doesn't make us a Christian or just because we went forward. Or just because we prayed that prayer. So you have to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have to have the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. But then you also have to have the outer witness of a changed life. And if I didn't tell you that, then I'd be steering you wrong. You know, one of the difficulties, and I don't know if you guys can understand what I'm saying, but one of the difficulties of being a pastor is you don't want to make the Christian doubt their salvation. Because I know that can be almost like a, a torturous. But you don't want to give the non-Christian a false assurance of their salvation. So it's always a fine line. So what we want to do is basically say, well, this is what the Bible says, how you can examine your life. You know, we have the subjective, which is our experience, and I thank God for that. But then we have the objective, which is the way that we can look at the evidence and see where we are. You know, John right here, he talks about sin. The reason being the false teachers were making light of it. The Gnostics were teaching extremities and basically saying it's not a big deal. And let me just share with you, it's a dangerous teaching because, number one, uh, Christians then will kind of like just go ahead and, and do it. It's not really something that they'll guard against. You know, I hate it when I sin. I'll be honest with you, man. I hate it when I get in an argument with my wife. I hate it. I hate it when I blow up my kids. Are you too many quesadillas? I hate it. <laughs> I'm like, I know this is sin now, huh, Lord? He says, oh, yeah, it's gluttony now, Manny. Okay. <laughs> you know, or whatever it is. I don't want to get weird or anything, but because uh, sin is ugly. You hurt people. You hurt yourself. And you hurt God. And so 
you know, I came to that place in my life where I said, you know what, Lord, I can't take this lightly. I have to do everything I can. Everything. Not to. And so, if I got to put duct tape on my mouth, <laughs> cool. And, uh, you know, I was telling Henry, you know, one of the things that I do now is I don't talk as much. Because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> your mouth just keeps going, huh? And then you say things that you shouldn't have said. And then I've learned this, this lesson, you guys. I've learned, like, it's better just to listen. You know, I'm not saying that, you know, your husband should be silent or anything. But you listen, listen, instead of doing all the talking. How's your wife doing? Like, where's her heart at? What are her desires? What are her concerns or your children. And, you know, you talk less, just just different things to do anything you can. And that might mean, you know, that you wake up in the morning and you just get on your face and you go up and you wake up before anybody else and you pray, you read your Bible, and, you, you know, you just uh, keep yourself accountable. I don't know. But, see, these types of dangerous, dangerous teachings are there because what I've found is that, man, when you take sin lightly, then you're, you know, you're going to separate yourself from God. You're going to separate yourself from others. And remember this, man, that whatever you sow, you will also reap every time you sin. But if you do good things, if you sow good things, even that, you know, that you're going to reap that. And so it's just a principle of life. It's a dangerous thing for that reason, because it then causes Christians to sin and to take it lightly. But secondly, it removes the distinctive characteristic and proof of salvation which is obedience. I mean, if you teach Christians that they don't have to be any different than the world, the only difference is you're forgiven, they're not, there's no difference, then how can anyone examine their life? And that's what John now writes about. And he says there in verse 4, listen, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. I mean, it's not just a stumble. It's not just a slip. It's not just a mess up. It's not just a mistake. It's not just a mishap. Sin is a theological term for diecast rebellion against God. It's lawlessness. It's wickedness. And, and look, in verse 5, you know that Jesus was manifested. He came to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. And, of course, this speaks of the fact that when you give your life to Christ, that, man, he takes all your sin and forgives you and cleanses you, and it's a positional truth. But there's also a, a practical truth that woven in there that the whole principle, man, is to take this away. And so he says in verse 6, whoever abides in him does not sin. And the word right there means continually, habitually sin, defiantly Insistently, persistently, consistently, whoever sins in this nature, it says, has neither seen him nor known him. That's another way of saying that they're not a Christian. You know, and, and your heart goes out to, to people. You know, if you're new here, if you've just been coming to church, and maybe this is the first time you heard this message, you know, maybe you do know the Lord, and, and, and God is just speaking to you now, for whatever the, the situation might be, maybe it's a sexual sin that you're involved in. And, and, but now you know that, that you can't serve the Lord and still live in sexual sin. You can't serve the Lord and still be addicted to pornography. You can't serve the Lord and still be doing your drugs and think that you're going to be okay. You know, and, and, you know, it's so many things. It's not just those, you know, big things. It's, we're going to see later, it's a lot of things. And what we see is that, man, you know, if that's your, your description, then, then you don't know the Lord. And it says right here in verse 7, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous as a Christian, right? Just as he is righteous. But then it gets really heavy in verse 8. But he who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And that's a heavy thought. You know, 
I mean, not only are you a saint or an ain't, but, you know, you're either a child of God or you're a child of, of the devil. But the choice is yours. You know, would you like to follow the Lord, man? I'm telling you what, the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Right here it says the purpose of the Son of God, he was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And the word destroy right there, it means to render inoperative. You know, before I was a Christian, I couldn't stop doing drugs. Before I was a Christian, I couldn't stop my filthy language or whatever my addictions were. I really had no power over those things. But when the Lord came into my life, he gave me power over those things. He rendered inoperative the power that the devil had over me. And now when the Lord comes inside, it's so cool. He says right there in verse 9, Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin. Notice that he cannot sin. He cannot continually, habitually, defiantly, insistently, resistantly, consistently, persistently sin. He can't. Why? Because the seed of God is inside that individual. And so what it does is it just really allows me then to objectively examine my life. You know, and I and I hope you guys are okay with that. You know, Second Corinthians thirteen five, it says, uh, "Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith." There's nothing wrong with that. I remember when I was in wrestling, man. Every week in West Covina High School, I would be challenged. They would challenge me. You still varsity? We'll find out. <laughs> you know. And and I'm not saying that you doubt your salvation. I'm not saying that, you know, you go up and down and all around. But it's okay when you cover passages like this to take a real long look in the mirror. To really take a real deep look in your heart. And to know that, you know, we have to have this description. Because we have a Father that loves us. You know, when we read the Bible, we see the different ways that these things are described. And what God wants to do is God wants to set us free. Now, it's not just the sex and drugs and things like that. Um, let's look at a few other things. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In verse 9, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And so he gives a list, you know, different things. I mean, we know the sexual things and sometimes we know maybe about the drunkards or maybe, you know, other things. But he mentions right here even the covetous. It's an interesting thing. Even the, the drunkards, the revilers, the extortioners. There's another list if you go over to Galatians chapter 5. Notice what it says in verse 19. It says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. A lot of sexual sins because there's a lot of problems in that area, right? But then check it out in verse 20. Idolatry, sorcery, which is... Pharmakia, that the drug abuse, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath. You might want to underline that one, man. Selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, and drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, what ends up happening is when God gives us his seed, we can't be brought under bondage in this area. We could sin, but we are not overcome by sin. And what we find, you guys, is as Christians, this is important that we understand the way it works. Coming to church, being able to examine our lives. You know, I always go back because people are always wondering, is he saved? That's not my call. I'm not going to judge you. You have to take your own life and, and you have to go before the Lord because the Lord knows, like I said, the inner witness, where your trust is, the outer witness. But the Bible says in Second Timothy chapter 2, the Lord knows those who are his. And all I'm giving to you, I'm not, 
you know, condemning you. But all I'm giving to you is the word of God so that you can check it out in an objective way. And, and not only that, but since most of us here are Christians, we could see that we need to flee these things. Not only do we need to flee the practice of sin, because today's study we see, first of all, the blessings of God, the love of God, the life of God. Secondly, we see the way that we can examine our life to see if we're children of God. Number one is a general obedience. And then number two is a special kind of love. Because that's what we close with here in First John chapter 3. He says again in verse 10, And this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not have love his brother. For this is a message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And so, you know, let me just see if I can make this clear, man. Christians do sin. As a matter of fact, we read in John chapter 1, verse 8, that if we say we have no sin, then we are liars, right? And the truth is not in us. Christians do still sin. But the difference is that we try not to. The difference is, is we don't want to. The difference is that we now have the power not to. We have the power to overcome not just some, but any temptation, all sin. And we as Christians should not sin in the same area persistently, consistently, resistantly. Because we have the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. And so right here, John is saying, man, there's got to be a general absence of sin. But there has to be this special presence of love. And that's how we know the children of God and the children of the devil. You know, one thing I want to encourage you guys to know is that don't just kick back. Don't just kick back and say, well, once I become like a strong Christian, you know, then I'm going to start loving. Because that's not the way it is. I really believe that as a Christian, just as, a, as in the very beginning, in the very basic building blocks of being a Christian, there will be this presence of love. It's Christianity 101. It's not for the super saint. It's for, for all of us here. The fruit of the Spirit, the Bible says, is love. And, and so some people say, well, you know, I don't love them, but I don't hate them. And I, and I think when I read the Bible that if you don't love them, then you hate them. I think when I read the Bible, there's like nothing in between. And so that brings up another question. I was talking to my son about this. I said, well, what is love? You know, what is love? And I'm all asking him, like, you know, can you tell me? Because this is a very, very deep philosophical question. And, you know, what exactly is love? And, and, you know, there are some that will say, well, love is correcting them. And just, you know, you know, snap out of it. And, you know, just, you know, that's love. And then there are others over here that say, well, no, love is just like total grace, man. You don't even have to say anything. Just give them a big hug, right, or something, you know. I mean, and, and you definitely will hear that. And, and so, you know, I, I, I see both sides. I do see some people that they are just so unforgiving and so ungracious and so obnoxious. And I see others that, you know, they're just, man, that's, they're just, they never are willing to help and correct and give the word and, and be firm. And, and, I, and I just basically, I know that somewhere in this life of love, there's got to be a balance. And there's got to be that element to correct as God leads and you speak the truth in, in love. But there's got to be that element of forgiveness and restoration and grace. And I, and I was talking to my son about this, and I said, you know, um, love is a fruit. I, and it's hard to put your finger on sometimes, you know. I, and I, You know, maybe you can help me out with this, but I do know that, 
You know, you can almost feel it when someone loves you. You can just sense it. Why? Because it's a fruit. And, and when the fruit is there, like, with, like let's just say you had a fruit tree at your house. Um, you would probably eat the nectarines, right? <laughs> you would consume them. The other day, someone gave us some avocados, and so we've been having a field day, man. Guacamole, tortillas, mm, it's really good combination, you know? And, and love is a fruit. And all I know is this, that when someone, when they love me, I can tell. I can tell. You know, it says right here, the world hates you. We're to expect that. Not only do they think we're weird, they think we're wicked. But when the church hates you, when that's weird. Or when you hate somebody, that's weird. Love is a mysterious thing. But I do want to encourage you to examine your heart to see whether or not it's present. You know, I was telling my kid last night, my son, because we were having a deep conversation where we were having our Doritos together, and that's the best time, man, to talk. And uh, we were just talking, and, and, you know, just talking about friends, and, like, what's a real friend? Do you have any real friends? And I'm asking him, and he's asking me. It's a hard question sometimes. And we all fall short. But I think you can feel it. I think you just kind of know it. Not always, not always, don't get me wrong. But we have to search our hearts. You know, not only are you loving me, are you loving me? You know what? That's probably something I need to get over. I don't worry about that too much. But a better question is, am I loving you? Am I loving you? And so, I was, you know, we're just trying to figure this out on our way over here. And it only takes us like 15 minutes to get here. So we didn't have enough time. But um, I told him, well, you know what, son? We got to go over to 1 Corinthians 13, huh? Because it says right there, love, it suffers long. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love, it thinks no evil. In other words, it doesn't, it doesn't count how many times you've done me wrong. It doesn't keep account of that. It doesn't want to do evil. And love believes all things, bears all things, hopes all things. Love, when it's, when it's real love, it never fails. In other words, it doesn't stop. You still love that person. See, and that is a true Christian. That's a true Christian. Thank God he's patient with us, man. I read a chapter this week and it helped me out a lot. It was, uh, it, it really helped me out a lot just to see, you know, as we read something like this, it's a, it's a high thing, you know, to consider what God really expects of us as Christians, you know. But I really pray that this is something that, that if you're real, that, that you would really, really move towards. Because I think in the end, as I was trying to put my finger on, like, what would be that final illustration that kind of brings everything together today? I think in one sense, the Lord was just saying, you know, well, remember when you were younger and used to go over to your friend Paul Sergusa's house? And uh, my friend Paul Sergusa, we were blood brothers, man. So I cut my finger, he cut his finger, and we're like, yeah, man. And we were good friends, and I used to go over his house, and we used to have breakfast together, and we would have frosted flakes. Remember when Tony the Tiger was big? And so I remember, man, he had a, a the frosted flakes box. But I guess every once in a while, and I don't know the details about it, but money was tied at their pad, and so when they ran out of Frosted Flakes, the mom, she would buy the generic brand. She, I think it was the Lucky version of Frosted Flakes. And she'd actually pour it into the Frosted Flakes. Man. <laughs> and so when we're there and we're grubbing, I'm like, I look at him. He looks at me. I'm all, something's not right here, you know. <laughs> These are fake Frosted Flakes, bro. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, we would figure it out. But, you know... I loved him. I loved his uh, his mom. Really cool people. But th- I guess the thing is, is that I, that's what I'm trying to guard myself against and, and the church against. Because I see a lot, a lot of fake 
Christianity. A lot of it. Either there's with you people over here where they're just, you know, living in sin and it ain't no thing but a chicken wing. And, and there are these over here that were just, just so ungracious and unloving. And, 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 and I just see when I read the Bible, man, just the beautiful balance. How really what I'm asking the Lord for in, in my own life is that I want to be real. I want to be like the Lord. See, and it's all, it all ends up coming back to that thing, guys, that, you know, First John, people will tell you it's a very, very basic book. And it is. It's a very simple book. It really is. And you kind of keep saying the same things over and over again, maybe in a different way. But it all comes back to that word is called love. And what we study today, number one, is the love that God has for us. We won't go anywhere unless we first understand that. But then, when we understand God's love for us, then we can then love him back. And, and the Bible says, Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll obey me, right? That's how we love the Lord. And then what ends up happening is God love comes towards us. We start loving God back. And then when we really become Christians, and we really start living it out, is we start loving others. See? You love others. It's pretty simple. See, that's what God wants. And so, Lord, we thank you for allowing us to study your word. And Lord, I know that we want to be real. We can't do it on our own strength, oh Lord. And so I pray, I pray, Lord, that you would just empower us today, that you would help us to surrender. Lord, that you would help us to even believe again. Lord, I lift up my brothers and sisters here, thanking you so much for them and how much you love them, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, that you would work in such a way that only you can, that by your Holy Spirit, Lord, there would be a revival. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you, Lord, who's not a Christian, they've got to be going through hard times. There's got to be a void within, Lord. I pray for them. We pray, Lord, that today, Lord, they would yield their life to you that you do a mighty work. Thank you so much, Father, for allowing us to study your word together. Be with us now, Lord, as we sing, as we go our way. Today I pray that your hand would be heavy upon us. We love you. And we ask together in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626 626- Four five four, three four one four. Remember that Jesus loves you.